The symbol crash. I thought there was more. <laughs> so there was, uh, <clears throat> there was a man who was lost on a deserted island and uh, shipwrecked or whatever. He lived there for five years. One day, he's finally found by some rescuers and they, they get him off the island. And as they are sailing away, they look to the island and they notice that there's three grass huts on the island. And they say to the man, what are these three grass huts? We thought you were alone. So the man says, well, the first one is my home. That's that's where I lived. The second one is my church. That's where I worship. Then he just kind of stopped and they scratched their heads and say, well, yeah, but what about the third one? He goes, oh, that. That's the church I used to go to. (laughs) (coughs) We tend to be able to find reasons for discontentment even when we're alone. Reasons to move on to, quote-unquote, greener pastures. Now, I was going to ask you a question. I was going to have you raise your hand if you've ever been discontent, but the reality is I know that we have all, at one point or another, been discontent with our life, discontent with what's going on around us. And I was going to ask you to raise your hands if you're discontent right now. But again, last night as I was working through this, I thought, well, that's silly because I know there's a good chunk of people who are discontent right now and some of them probably wouldn't raise their hand anyways. So let's just say that we understand that there are many people probably in this room or watching at home who are in a place in their life where they're struggling with discontentment, kind of feeling lost. And that's okay because the good news is you're not alone. I was reading an article the other day talking about how workers in 2021 have been doing a lot of soul-searching. Apparently, in the spring of 2020, according to a survey that was, it gets sent out every year to two million workers, asking them about how they're feeling about work, their jobs, and stuff like that. People were far more focused in the spring of 2020 on their jobs and content at their jobs. Not too surprising, considering that many people were just thankful to have a job at that point as the pandemic was hitting, you know, all of our businesses and things were shutting down. But after that, in 2021, people really began to reflect on where they were at in their life and in their careers. And they began to ask themselves, is this really what I want to be doing with my life? Employee motivation dropped significantly in that one year. Just the desire to work hard and do a good job. Employee loyalty dropped. Suddenly you didn't care about your employer so much. You know, it's on to the next place, um, the next spot we could go to. Employee loyalty dropped. And employee referrals dropped. No longer were people saying, dude, I work at this great place, you should apply, we have an opening. People were saying, I would never refer a friend of mine to work for this place. Now, many of us can look back on 2021 and completely understand some of the social, economic, and political things that were going on for why 
working would have lost its appeal. But ultimately, the truth that we get from this is that we are living in an age of discontentment. We are living in an age where people are just feeling lost. So what is the answer to that discontentment? Because discontentment in and of itself isn't always bad. And we're going to see that today in our passage. Sometimes discontentment to lead to good things. But other times we allow our discontentment to take us to bad places. So if you would open up with me to Luke 15. And I'm not going to ask you to stand this week. Apparently, I'm not going to ask you to do the Apostles' Creed either because I forgot. <laughs> so. But it's kind of a longer passage, so I'm just going to read this to you. So it's uh, Luke 15, we're uh, 1 through 3, and then 11 to 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Now we're jumping over um, two parables, so we're going to the third parable in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that we can know who you are and that we can know who we are in relation to you, Father. Lord, reveal yourself to us today in a mighty way through your word. Speak to each one of us wherever we're at, Father, that those who are lost may be found and that maybe those who have been there all along, would be rejoicing and just thankful to be in your presence. Father, we pray that you would speak to each one of us wherever we're at. And we pray that each one of us would walk out of here today looking a little bit more like your son, Jesus. Change us from within, Father. And Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first I want you to notice that this parable is a response to the Pharisees' criticism that Jesus welcomes and eats with sinners. They're criticizing him. He, you welcome and you eat with sinners. And Jesus' response is, you have no idea. Check out this story about how a father responds to his son who is far worse off than these are. Then he tells the story of this young man who is discontent with his life, discontent with his family, and even discontent with God. You see, this young man doesn't just move out of his parents' house to get out from under their rules. He goes so far as to basically tell his dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what will be mine once you're gone. And when the dad says, okay, and gives him his inheritance early, not only does the young man turn his back on his father, but he also goes even further and moves all the way out of the country, basically saying, not only do I want to break my relationship with my family, but I also want out from under this covenantal relationship as a Jew with God. He left God's promised land even. And in this case, he responds to his discontentment by seeking the things of this world. In his case, it was probably alcohol and women, as we hear a little bit later. But it could have just been, could have just as easily have been bigger houses, faster cars, nicer boats or snowmobiles. Who cares? as long as, who cares if you're up to your dead and eyeball, up to your eyeballs and dead, as long as you're getting what you want so that you can feel fulfilled and content. Who cares what's going on with the people around you as long as you have what you need. This young man couldn't appreciate what he had. He couldn't be content. All he could think about was what he wanted and what he was missing out on. 
But if we look through the scriptures, we'll remember that Solomon tells us in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. And when we are focused on what we think will make us happy or worse, what we think we deserve, this is the path that we end up on as well. This young man thought he deserved his inheritance early. He thought he deserved to be able to do whatever he wanted with it. But at the end, in the end, it led him on this bad path, even the path to death through starvation, had he stayed there much longer. But notice that I didn't say that his contentment, discontentment was a bad thing. It was his response to his discontentment. You see, when we respond properly to our discontentment, it can lead us on a better path. It can motivate us to do more with our lives, to be more in our lives. See, this young man will once again become discontent as he's starving to death while feeding the pigs. Now he looks at where he is at and thinks there has to be a better way. And I'm confident that he begins to think about how he can get out of his situation that he is in. He begins to seek for a better path. But this time he isn't saying, I deserve better. This time he knows he doesn't deserve better. So this time he humbles himself and decides to reach out to the one person who can deliver him from his misery, his father. In this case, his discontentment is motivating him to look somewhere better. Because you see, hitting rock bottom is not necessarily a bad thing. When we recognize that we're at rock bottom or feeding the pigs in this case, it can motivate us to look outside ourselves for a better way. In Matthew 5, Jesus tells us that generally speaking, Hitting rock bottom is the first step on one's path to salvation. Now, this doesn't always have to be true, and you will hear about that next week as we talk about the other brother. But for many of us, it is very true. For many of us, myself included, we had to hit that rock bottom before we could turn from our own ways and to begin to look to the Father. So in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us, about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. These Beatitudes aren't just something that we pick and choose, well, I'm meek or I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. These eight Beatitudes, I only read the first four, are a path that we should be heading on for salvation and then sanctification. And it begins, as Jesus tells us about being poor in spirit, and we've talked about this quite a few months ago, but again, that term here for poor in spirit is tokos, and it's the opposite, it's not Penes is the other term for poor, which is the working poor. 
Tokos means that you are so poor that you have to beg to survive. Tokos is a poverty that leads you to your knees. And Jesus says that is where we begin. Blessed are the poor in spirit because now you have nowhere else to look but up. And this young man was definitely at that point to where he was looking outside of himself and about to look to his father. And when we hit that state, when we hit that rock bottom, we begin to mourn because we recognize the state of our life. We recognize the state of our soul. This young man longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But then he came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. This man was mourning over his condition and he's beginning to recognize where he is on the hierarchy. He begins to become meek. Because meek doesn't mean that we are doormats. Meek means that we understand who we are in relation to God. And he recognized that he was a nobody. The young man who thought he was worthy and deserved his father's money suddenly recognizes that he deserves nothing. He, like each of us, is a sinner, wallowing in the mud and the filth of this world, and yet acting as though we deserve forgiveness, as though we deserve good things, as though we deserve heaven and eternal life. We deserve nothing. And yet, when we turn back to the Father, as this young man did, when he said, I will set out and I will go back to my Father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer, to be called, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. In humility, he turns back to his Father. As we, in humility, need to turn back to our Father, then the Father will welcome us home as well. Not because we earned it, and certainly not because we deserve it, but because our Heavenly Father loves us. And when we end up wallowing in the mud with the pigs, and we turn back to the Father, and He welcomes us home with loving arms, then we must accept his love for us. We must accept that this Father, our Heavenly Father, loves us. Because when the Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. What did the Father say? He didn't say anything to his Son. He quickly yells to his servants, Bring the best robe put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The son who had been lost is now found. He is no longer that person who was wallowing in the mud and the filth with the pigs. He is a new creation. The old son was discontent the old, and lost but this new son who's come back wears his father's robe and ring and sandals with humility, knowing he is not worthy, 
but also with pride, knowing that his Father loves him. And when we accept what our Heavenly Father has done for us, when we accept that he has welcomed us home as well as children of the Most High, then we will desire to live into the love that the Father has lavished upon us. We will take the next step on that path of the Beatitudes and we will begin, we will begin to hunger and thirst for a righteousness befitting a child of the King And when we begin to live into this new life bestowed upon us by the Father, there will be rejoicing. I'm going to sidetrack us for just a minute here. Because should we, as a church and as individual believers, should we not also rejoice when a sinner comes back to the Father? And yet what I what we often see happening in the churches, not here, not just here, but a lot of churches, is that we tend to not rejoice when the lost come to Christ until the lost begin to look more like us. If this young man walked into our church fresh out of the pig pen, dirty, smelly, broken, would we run up to him wrap our arms around him, hug him, welcome him in the way his father did? How do we treat the new believers in our church? Do we put expectations on them to change immediately? Do we expect them to immediately join a certain group or volunteer or know all of the Bible? Or can we be content just rejoicing that they have turned back to their heavenly father as well? Can we just allow them to walk the path that God has set for them and rejoice that at least they are back on the path? Because that is how the church should be responding to our new believers. Because in Luke 15.10, Jesus says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So today, off the sidetrack and back onto where we are at. So today, if you're feeling discontent, if you're feeling as though there has to be more to this life than what you've been experiencing so far, maybe you haven't fully given your life to Christ yet. I want to encourage you to stop wallowing in the mud and return to your heavenly Father. And know that when you turn back to the Father, he rejoices. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, rejoice. The angels rejoice. And know that when you turn back to the Father, we, as the church, will also rejoice. I encourage you today to really think about where you're at. Is there discontent? And what are we going to do with that discontentment? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for all that you are doing. 
And we thank you for that holy discontentment. Lord, you don't ever want to keep us where we're at. You love us so much. You accept us wherever we are. But you also love us so much that you won't allow us to stay in the same place. Father, allow us to recognize the areas of discontent in our life and use those as a barometer of where we are at in our walk with you. That each one of us would be willing to step out of our comfort zones and move closer to you, to give up whatever areas of our lives that we need to give up to get closer to you, Father. Use the discontentment in our lives for your glory. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.